0: meet the dynamic woman behind this hyper local news company when most of our media are controlled by conglomerates it is indeed a pleasure to find a local family-owned organization that gets it right at the community level hi i'm your host bob williams and i'm very pleased to welcome emily walsh president of the observer media group in this episode you'll learn one thing most people don't know about emily what it was like preparing to lead the family business how she separates family from business, where Emily is taking the Observer Group, and much, much more. Thank you for stopping by today. As it is, my hope you will listen, learn, and connect. Emily Walsh, president of the Observer Media Group, welcome to the Sarasota Stories podcast.
1: Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, it is a pleasure to have you on. And we were laughing a little bit before I hit record because I'd reached out to Emily like right at the first of the year saying, will you be on this show? And I reached out to several CEOs of some of the large organizations around here. And like none of them got back and then it dawned on me. They're all laying out their objectives for the year. Why in the world would they want to be on a podcast when they got you know big corporate decisions to make? But I appreciate you coming on this show today. I really do.
1: Thank you. Well, I had to remind our leadership team this morning that tomorrow is the last day of Q1, and we still have three more quarters to go. So let's, you know, we still we we still have plenty of time to get our goals done for 2023.
0: That's right. That's right. Yeah, I, I've often thought about the book. It's called the 12 Week Year. Like they kind of manage yourself based upon the 12 weeks, and it's kind of kind of true, but. We're going to get into a lot of stuff about how you manage the Observer Group and what all you have going on. But before we get into it, I'd like to ask my favorite question, which is, what is one thing most people don't know about Emily Walsh? A few people in Sarasota know this,
1: but I actually started my career with the Sarasota Ballet and danced professionally with the Sarasota Ballet for five years. Um This is pre-Ian Webb, um, but I started out my career as a professional ballerina.
0: Well, that's very rare air because that's huge competition in that industry.
1: Oh, yeah. It, but it's also like the newspaper industry, it's very small. The dance world is small. And is uh, it? yes, we all know each other and everybody. And but it was a very interesting field to be in.
0: Well, I can say I know nothing about ballet. So I can't really add a story here. I am curious are there any lessons that you learned becoming a professional ballerina that has transferred into the world of media
1: well i tell a lot of parents whose kids are in dance uh starting out and i say it's a great it's great sport because it really is a sport you're you're yeah, an athlete sure. uh to and it's an art but it is a great place to learn drive determination dedication uh you know practice makes perfect it it really instills a lot of skills in you and obviously performing on stage, you, you know, you don't have stage fright when it comes into other careers about being in front of people or speaking in public because you've been in the bright lights before.
0: It, it, it's funny, as you were talking, I actually, I do have about a, a ballet story. All of my daughters had three daughters and all of them did take ballet for a while. They were very young, of course, had their little, uh, what do you, what do you call it? Yeah, recital. they had the recital. Mm-hmm. My oldest daughter, who is such a ham, we couldn't get her off the stage. My middle daughter, she wouldn't go on stage. So she never did.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. Those those four-hour recitals are always entertaining to watch because oh, they, they different kids and their personalities.
0: And they stuff. are indeed. They are indeed. Well, that's fascinating. Well, so give us kind of broad strokes background of your upbringing, because you are a native Sarasotan, I guess, longboat, et cetera. Do so you grew up around here and your family started the observer group? And you guess it was your parents started the observer group back in 95. So what was it like growing up here and then really coming into the family business?
1: So actually I moved here when I was a sophomore in high school So I didn't totally grow up here. I would say my youngest brother really grew up here in Sarasota. But, you know, sophomore in high school, that's formidable time of your childhood, right? Um. So, well, one of the things about growing up here and one of the reasons why I'm involved with the Bay Park Conservancy is so when I was a sophomore in high school in Sarasota, where we hung out was the Hollywood 20, which I'm actually looking at across the street out of my office window. Now the Hollywood 11. And we hung out in the parking lot. And that's all that's all there was to do. And the Van Waisel, the 53 acres of the Bayfront Park is parking lot right now. So I don't want my son to grow up hanging out in the parking lot either. So, (laughs) you know, but that's kind of one of the reasons why I'm involved in that project, because I think, you know, it's a beautiful piece of property in Sarasota and Sarasota is a beautiful place. Our kids should have a place to hang out. That's also beautiful, too, not just a parking lot. So um anyway, that's what uh that's what growing up was like here in Sarasota. interesting, yeah. Yeah, but I um how I got into the family business is this. I'll try and make it short. So I'm a fourth generation newspaper girl. My wow. great grandfather was in the circulation business in Kentucky, and he actually trained Derek Dunrain Rankin, who is the founder of Sun Media Group, which uh, publishes the Venice Gondolier, Charlotte Sun, Northport Sun, which is now owned by Adam Publishing Group. So that's how the newspaper industry Wow. Yeah. Uh, my grandfather was a vice president of Stauffer Communications and publisher of 12 daily newspapers in the Midwest, another family owned newspaper company. And then my parents met in journalism school at the University of Missouri. My mom was in the advertising program. My dad was on the journalism side. And they met, then they forged their career in uh, the Midwest, working in a bunch of different daily newspapers. They worked at a newspaper in uh, South Dakota, Brookings, South Dakota. And when a snow drift hit the second story of their townhouse, my mom said to my dad, we're out of here. And they moved to Miami. And they moved to Miami when I was nine months old. And so I'm technically a Floridian. Technically yes. A Floridian. Yes.
0: Technically. Yes. Yeah.
1: So they worked at the Miami Herald. Then my dad became the executive editor of Florida trend magazine, which was owned by the Tampa Bay times, then St. Petersburg times. Yep. And I'll then the subscriber. Be- yeah, he became the Southeastern bureau ma- manager for Forbes magazine. And we were literally on our way up to New York city. I had been accepted into the school of American ballet and Lincoln center and uh, a newspaper broker who knew that dad was sort of interested in, in owning his own newspaper called my dad and said, hey, there's this little newspaper for sale on this 10-mile barrier island off of Sarasota. I think you should look at it. And I remember that day we drove down to Longboat Key. Uh, my mom took us to the beach, my siblings and I to the beach. Well, I guess dad did some meetings. And apparently he called my grandfather, my mom's dad. We had just retired six months earlier and said, Do you want to go back to work? And I guess my grandfather was hating retirement and said, heck yeah. They moved to Longboat. We moved to Longboat and we acquired the Longboat Observer in 1995.
0: Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Wow, that's a great story.
1: So then um, how I got into the business, this is kind of a funny story. So I danced with the Sarasota Ballet professionally for five years and then I went off to Florida State and Every, every, I was very popular at Florida State because I was 21 when I was a freshman. So, you know, I could buy everybody beer. Um, <laughs> and um, I came back and then was like, you know what, I'm going to get this dance thing one last shot. And I told my mom I was moving to New York City. And she was like, all right, that's a good idea. you know. But, you know, New York City is a little expensive. Do you have first and last month's rent? You got to pay for the subway. You racked up some credit card debt in college. Maybe you should get a job. And amazingly, smart woman, there was a job open at the Longboat Observer. As Is a that
0: right? Yeah.
1: And so I took it with still plans to move to New York City. But I remember one day it was one of the beautiful spring day like today where I was driving over the New Pass Bridge from Longbow and the water was that beautiful turquoise blue. I was talking to my friend in New York City who was like oh we just had a blizzard yeah yeah it's lonely and when are you moving and I said I'm not and so that is how I got into the newspaper business it was just supposed to be a job to save some money and fell in love with it and it's been my entire career
0: it's 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 interesting how weather kind of makes us make decisions I actually have a daughter who lives out in the Billings Montana area right now and of course Uh she's like she's Unfortunately, she has you know three young children, so it's going to be difficult for her to travel. But she's just like dying to come south here to be mom and dad since we uh, we came down here. I, I the other thing that was as you were talking, yeah, you know, working for the family business is like when I I came out of college, I worked for a family business too, but I it was basically a steel mill, and so so my dad stuck me in the forge department, which is the which is the dirtiest and the hottest part of the business. And uh, my supervisor was a guy by the name of Chubb Campbell. And yeah. he looked like he looked like Quasimodo. I mean, he's a World War II vet with tattoos and whatnot. And he just said, buddy, he, he says, "He says, do you want to make money? And I don't even know if he knew I was the owner's son or not. I go, well, yes, sir, Mr. Chubb. <laughs> and so uh, it's, it's a long story there. But uh, uh, my dad was was very smart in putting me in the worst part because I knew right then and there I wanted to go get some more education. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. they they always have a plan don't they there, there's they always do a plan there so
0: they do <laughs> well but i mean i've always found you know family businesses you know fascinating and um you are president now of the observer group and you work for the company how long before you took over that position
1: i was named president last year or the year before two yeah. years ago yeah um, and I've been with the company for twenty years, so 18 right, years.
0: right? Yeah. so very similar to myself. but so what was it like when you what were the conversations that you were having with your parents? Because obviously they like like every parent, every family business, they hope their kids or most parents are gonna hope that their kids want to take over the business because they you know put your heart and soul into something. It's your other baby. What was it what were the conversations like when they were getting ready to name you as president?
1: Well, I think there is quite a journey there. So I started out on the editorial side of the business and worked my way up to becoming the black tie and arts and entertainment editor. And really the next step after that is to become a managing editor. And I remember thinking, you know, watching the managing editors who, you know, they're they're mostly in the office reading other stuff. Stories, coming up with story ideas for the reporters, editing, right? Putting the paper together. And I don't like being stuck in an office. I Mm -hmm. I like being out. I like talking to people, meeting people. And it was sort of a pivotal time in my career. And my dad and our CEO, Matt Walsh, always has everyone come up with, you know, big, uh, wild goals and uh, a big goal for the year. And this particular, particular year he asked us all to do one year five year and 10 year goals and my 10 year goal that year was that I wanted to have his job in 10 years and um and actually now I'm looking back on it it actually did work out that way 10 years later I did sort Mm -hmm. of have his job Mm -hmm. I'm not the CEO but I you know I'm pretty yeah yeah running the, the business. So he said, Okay, well, if you want to have my job, then you have to learn everything about this business. Now I knew everything on the editorial side, like reporting, editing, uh, layout. Um, I knew that side. But I didn't know anything about sales. And he's like, so you got to get into sales. And honestly, I loved sales. Sales is awesome. I loved it because I felt like I was the marketing director for like 20 different businesses. My job was to help them grow their business, right? Right, of and course. And that was exciting and to learn about all sorts of different industries. So I got into sales. And then um, after learning that side of the business, I, I helped us launch our digital side of our business. And that was really uh eye-opening experience, sort I'll of an entrepreneur too, because uh some things work, some things don't. And you learn, you know, you learn how to launch something, but then you also learn when, if it's not working, then you have to shut something down, which is always hard decisions to make, but that's part of being an entrepreneur, right? So that's sort of how it happened. And, and thankfully, my parents realized that You know, in order for me to get there, um, we have a family business coach that has worked with myself and a lot of our other leaders um, with some leadership training. And um, and I still talk to her to this day. I think I talked to her twice last week, Um, you know, so that helped a little bit. And but in a family business, you know, if you're part of the family, two things happen. Number one, uh, your parents expect a whole lot more out of you than anyone. You sure
0: do and
1: your coworkers judge you harsher than anyone else as well. So you have to prove yourself to not only your your family but also to your peers.
0: They sure do. And uh, so was did your uh, your parents they didn't ask you early on that do you have hopes of running the business someday or did they didn't pressure you at all or was it not no. a discussion?
1: No. So the you know, thankfully, so I'm the only one of my siblings that works in the business. One of my cousins worked for us for a while, actually two of my cousins. But um my parents were always very supportive of all of our aspirations and dreams. So my sister did. um, She actually was a ballerina with the Sarasota Ballet for 19 years. I lasted five. She made it all the way to the top as the principal ballerina and now is running her own ballet school in Colorado Springs. Uh, My brother is a Marine, a major in the Marine Corps and specializes in intelligence. So we all went our own ways. And this, this is, uh, sort of my favorite family story that sort of classifies uh, us, uh, this generation, our generations is, uh, I think it was my sister was training at the Pittsburgh Ballet School and I had, I was at Florida State and it was one of the first dinners my brother had with my parents alone. They were like, all right, Brian, it's your dinner. What do you want to talk about tonight? And he goes, I don't know but it better not be ballet or newspapers. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's like consumed our lives, ballet. Yeah. Newspapers. But no, I, this was never part of my plan at all. Um, I always thought I would be in the arts world. and um, But I'm super glad I. this is the path that I ended up on. And I'm super passionate about our industry now.
0: That's neat. That's neat. Because I, it's interesting, my oldest brother, he has a fascinating business, He's called a backline business and he's in Tampa area. And he, he, like myself, he worked for the family, family business, but he, um, a backline business is where these acts such as Beyonce, or you got the Super Bowl, or maybe the large, uh, Democrat or Republican convention, or, you know, just, or tribute bands or whatnot, the larger acts, they don't travel with their equipment. They have to go to a place and rent it for the weekend or festivals and that sort of jazz. So he has warehouses full of that stuff always loved business, but my dad kind of browbeat him to, to come and work for the business because he was going to be a starving artist and whatnot. But he he grew up on like Steppenwolf and Led Zeppelin and, you know, the Beatles. Yeah. And he just loved music. And he was a fish out of water for many years. And he is just having the time of his life right now. He works really hard. And, uh, you know, I could go off on COVID and how that hit his business with, you know, shut down the festivals for a period of time and whatnot. But is a fish out of water. So it's great to hear that you you love what you're doing because that really transfers into you know where you're taking the business and you know the culture and all that sort of jazz. But before we get into that, I, I am curious because you mentioned a little bit earlier you started kind of like the digital publications and 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 actually before I talk about that, give our listeners the scope of how large the Observer Group is because you're in a lot of different areas throughout. The Florida, the state of Florida, you're not just here locally. And uh, so, so, share with that if you would.
1: So, yeah. So, we are obviously family owned and operated, and we publish 10 newspapers, six magazines, and five websites through and employ 120 people in the state of Florida. So, our publications locally here in Sarasota we have the Longboat, Sarasota, Siesta Key, East County. Observer newspapers, as well as the Business Observer, which is our paid business, uh, weekly newspaper. We have LWR Life Magazine, Key Life Magazine, and Season Magazine, and we publish YourObserver.com and BusinessObserverFL.com. In Orlando, we have the West Orange Times, the OrangeObserver.com, Local Motion Magazine, and Season Magazine. In the Daytona area, we publish the Palm Coast and Ormond Beach Observer and ObserverLocalNews.com. And in Jacksonville, we have the Jacksonville Daily Record, which is another uh, paid business weekly newspaper and JacksDailyRecord.com.
0: My goodness. You did all that off the top of your head, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a lot of moving parts. My goodness. Well, so, so with, with all those different publications, you're hyper-local in each one of these locations. How do you manage that? I mean, because I'm kind of asking that for my own benefit here, being Sarasota Stories, but how do you manage that? And I guess it gives you competitive advantage as well, correct?
1: Yes. I mean, um, that's what we pride ourselves on, is having hyper-local locally produced by journalists who are employed and lived here in the markets that we cover, So we've kind of come gotten it down to a science that each paper needs its own managing editor, news reporter, and a community reporter, and depending on the market, a sports reporter. So we've we you can you can operate a newspaper on three people, um, on the editorial side of things. Yes. And uh, that's sort of the formula that we figured out. And and that's how we set ourselves apart in every market that we serve these days, because a lot of the daily newspapers are full of wire content and not and don't have as much local news as they used to. And so that's what we focus really. We always say no news is is uh, too small for the observer, like all mm. news is, is news for the observer. And uh, that's kind of how we manage it
0: interesting how do you choose to go into a new area
1: um we try to look at markets that are very similar to sarasota because we figured out that it works well this way yeah you think about the demographics uh it's older affluent educated um and or if it's a growing community like uh west orange times is in winter garden orlando and Winter Garden is a huge booming area, uh, Ocoee, West Horizons West. There's a huge growing area outside of Orlando that, um, you know, has a lot of opportunity for growth. Um, and that's kind of if when we launch a paper somewhere, it's, it's either a place that's going to explode or it is established and has that same demographic we have here in Sarasota.
0: Interesting. Well, Florida, of course, is is booming right now, and there's just a lot of immigration uh, going on right now across the country. So we see, you know, the license plates from from my state of Ohio, but we also see California. Surprisingly, uh-huh. we see Illinois, we see New Jersey. So Florida is booming right now. And most people don't realize we're the 10th largest economy in the world yeah. and we're the third most populous state in the nation in the nation. So there's a lot of people moving down here. What are some of the opportunities that you see that are opening up for the Observer? And then I'm going to talk about, you know, really some of the disruptions that are happening. But what are the opportunities that you see right now for the Observer?
1: Well, I mean, the opportunity for the Observer is, to be blunt, uh, the, the daily newspaper is, is doing a, um, because it's part of a, a larger chain, they're part of the USA Today network. Um, they really don't have their finger on the pulse of the community anymore. So the opportunity for us is to really take a stronghold of that mar- market and become the dominant news source in the area. Um, I think we'll cover disruption in a minute about um, it's interesting when I go to and I'm leaving tomorrow for a uh, America's Newspapers uh, board meeting and conference that there aren't very many papers in this the United States where people beg to have your paper have more of it printed. Right. We are constantly getting uh, requests from neighborhoods saying, please deliver to our neighborhood, please deliver to our neighborhood. That's very unusual. Wow. And um, and, a, and, a, and an opportunity for us, right? So there are so many more places we can be delivered, but the the question is, how do you do that economically without pricing yourself out of the market?
0: Yeah, indeed, indeed. It's, it's I mean, I have felt the same way because it seems like so many industries are consolidating. I mean, even the food industry, and what, and to be to segregate yourself, you have to go small, and you have to pr- uh, you have to produce something that's super niched. In an area that, again, that people want, but that's kind of a little bit of what I'm dealing with right now with the, mm-hmm. with this podcast, you know. But um, well, well, that's pr- that is fascinating. Do, do you have any corporate partnerships to help launch new? I'm just curious. Oh, what do you, you mean
1: by corporate?
0: Well, I, I, if you go into specific g- geographic area, I mean, maybe some people have a certain uh, set of assets or something or or skill base that, and you, you just partner with them.
1: Uh, so LWR Life is a partnership with SMR. Okay. With yeah. Yeah. Manatee Ranch. Um, that's a partnership that we have with them. Uh, in the Palm Coast area, we have a couple of monthly, uh, observers that are produced with the different developers of different neighborhoods. So we have that. But otherwise, no, we're, we're completely mm. supported by our partners in all of our advertising.
0: Well, let's talk about disruption right now. Uh, One of the big ones out there, I mean, it's besides, you know, digital media, which uh, obviously you all have managed very, very well, and you were the one who launched it uh, for the Observer Group. You also have the disruptions of um, AI. Chat GPT is getting a lot of headlines right now. So that technology is changing things. How do you see it from from your perspective? Because so, because you, you hear about things such as AI taking jobs, or and not even being real content; it's, it's produced by you know, these algorithms. But but what what's happening in in your industry that you know is both good and bad? I guess from this disruption.
1: Yeah, I mean. The launch of the internet really disrupted the print media business. Uh, that was huge. And, you know, moving to being digital first, uh, media organizations has, uh, led to a lot of disruption around the country. Um, I think we, the print media, we kind of cannibalized our own business by offering our news online for free. Yep. We've always been free publications, so that's never been an issue for us and that's I think why we're surviving and thriving is because we never relied on subscriptions for um for our revenue. So the internet really changed the media industry. With AI wait, let me back up. Social media did as well, okay? So Google and Facebook has uh really changed it. They depend on our content to feed their plat- platforms. But with the addition of fake news, that has really disrupted things and that's what's led to a lot of the mistrust in media. But what I think chat G is it GPT GPT yeah chat GPT, GPT. GPT. yeah is going to do is that distrust is going to just heighten even more and so people are going to rely on an operation like ours where they know that the news and information is being produced by real people i think that is a huge opportunity for us
0: do you i just interviewed mercedes soler of mm-hmm. uh, president right. solmart media mm-hmm. yeah I, I just an hour ago she had the same sentiments As you now, of course, she came from Cuba and then she moved to Spain underneath the Franco. So she saw both communism and, uh, you know, the right wing radicals and all that sort of jazz. But she laments the fact what you just said about the fake media out there. I'll tell you, as a consumer, it, it frustrates the heck out of me. Because. Anybody can be a, quote, journalist these days. Anybody can put out information, and you don't have to be right, but all you have to do is be first and have a great headline. And so it becomes this clickbait environment that is very frustrating from a consumer's perspective. And, you know, I don't know how you navigate that as, as a real media outlet.
1: Yeah. I mean, there. so the Pointer Institute uh, in St. Petersburg uh, has a program called MediaWise which is out there educating both students and seniors on how to to detect if news is real or not, you know, always scroll down to the bottom and make sure it's like, there's, there's a real media thing with an ad reference so that, you know, it's a real um, article, but I mean, that's one of the things that we've really remained true to our mission, which is to inspire our communities with extraordinary content and to help our partners prosper you know, I was having a conversation with someone else the other day about data, how data has changed business, and and it has the media business as well. Like on our in our newsroom, we have a huge TV screen on the wall which has real time analytics showing of how many people are on our website on yourobserver.com, what they're reading, and we analyze, you know, our brand lovers, which are people who come to our website 14 times or more per month, what they're reading, and even though, yes, the data has informed how we do our business, if we just relied on the data um, and lived in that clickbait type of journalism, then the only news on yourobserver.com would be about traffic, weather, and restaurants. That's
0: yes, it. yes. It's and, nuts.
1: And, and, and you know, yeah, we probably have a ton of tra- tra- traffic on our internet from those types of stories, and we still write important ones about those items. But there's more than just those types of sure. news stories that are important to people in our community. And if we weren't writing about them, we'd be doing our community members a disservice.
0: Emily, I, I feel like I could talk with you for another couple of hours, but, <laughs> but, but we both have to have to get back to some, some other work and whatnot. But uh, you have an April Fool's edition coming out.
1: Yes, we did today, which I'm spoiling it for all of you who haven't seen it yet. So now you know it's it's a joke. But this is one of the one things, uh, the one of the fun things we do every year. It's our favorite issue every year to produce. Um, I love, uh, I'll just read you a text I got from Virginia Haley, who's from, um, Sarasota. Uh, she said, dang it. It took me a full five seconds. You guys did it again. And, you know, we get people... Everyone knows we do the April Fool's issue and and people, we still get them every year. And that's what's so fun about it. You know, we take local headlines and make them seem uh, real. Like this one, apparently we got somebody else. This one on the top of the Sarasota Observer. It says, Musk, ado about new college. The car-making and social media mogul plans to take the school private. So...
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I can only imagine the phone calls you're going to get over oh, that. Oh yeah, uh, oh yeah,
1: we've gotten a oh, bunch of
0: that's great. Yeah. I look forward to receiving it. Well, I can't let you go before I ask you, where do you, what are you excited about now, and where do you want to take the Observer Group?
1: Well, what I'm excited about is in, in just a few weeks, we're still working out some kinks. We're probably going to launch a new app that we have, which is a new e-paper reading experience. Yeah. And I think um, by launching that app, it solves that problem that I was telling you about where we can't print more papers. Um, but this way we can get in literally the hands of anyone who wants to access our news and deeply embedding our our journalism into our community. That's what I'm excited about.
0: Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, Emily Walsh, president of the Observer Media Group, I appreciate you being on the Sarasota Stories
1: podcast. Thanks, Bob. I really appreciate it.
0: Well, thank you so much. And I would like to have you on again in the future.
1: All right. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I hope you have a great day.
0: And to all our listeners, thank you so very much for taking your time out to listen to these wonderful stories. We hope to bring a lot more to you in the future. So once again, thanks all. Bye-bye. Hello, dear listeners. This is Bob again. Thank you so much for stopping by. I sure hope you enjoy listening to our interviews as much as we do providing them. If so, would you do me a little favor? Go to Sarasotastories.co and enter in your email. That way you'll get notifications of all upcoming episodes. Also, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And remember, no matter where you go, to listen, learn, and connect.